is The MS Show, the weekly podcast for people impacted by multiple sclerosis and home of the MS Action Takers. I'm Bron Webster and I've been living with MS over 25 years. Together with MS experts and real life people with MS, I'll be sharing tips and stories that will help when the MS gets real and inspire you to be an MS action taker and get in charge of your MS life. Hi, welcome to today's episode and I am so, so excited to be talking with Mark Webb. Mark is a diversity campaigner and he's head of comms at shift.ms, the charity that you've probably heard of. He also blogs and his blog is One Man and His Catheters and he's an absolute adrenaline junkie. So welcome to the MS show, Mark. It's great to have you. Thank you, Bron. And um, uh, talking of adrenaline junkies, of course, you and I, have, have, we, we've known each other electronically for ages, but we did actually meet on a sportability event, didn't we? When we, we, did. um, we both um, skydived indoors, as you do. Absolutely. And that was just like an example of your adrenaline junkie and me conquering a fear. So that's the, that's the sort of contrast in what we do. Oh. There you go. No, that well, that was a wonderful experience. I can't wait to go back again. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to rush back. I've got to admit. But what sort of have you actually done real skydiving as well? Then I, I have. I've done it three times. Um, and um, I'm sure we'll go on to discuss my MS. But um, I've done it sort of through through the progression of MS, and now desperately trying to do it again. But now that I'm uh, more often than not in a wheelchair, it's tough to find somebody who would accept me. So I've I've real um, skydived. I I've done a tough mudder where I was essentially a sack of potatoes being chucked over and under um, the obstacles by um, a, a burly bunch of um, girls and boys. Um, and I play wheelchair rugby for my sins very very badly. Um, but I play that um, up against uh, against a bunch of people who um, are usually rather fitter than me because, of course, they don't all have MS. Actually, I only play with one other guy who has MS. The others are often spinal injuries or somebody who's lost a limb in uh, Afghanistan or whatever. And upper body, they are all just beefcakes bombing around and there's yeah. me my progressive illness and, and not the best left-hand side, kind of going around slowly in circles. But, you know, I'm playing a competitive sport and I'm, I'm 52 and still pretending I'm playing sport. So who did you play your rugby for? Uh, well, bizarrely, I, I know you and I met in Milton Keynes and I actually live on the Dunstable Downs, but I did spend two years um, living down in Bournemouth and so I play for the Bournemouth Lions and I've stayed with them. Um, wonderful crowd of people. And fortunately for me, the actual tournaments, um, as you might expect, actually, given their heritage, they play at Stoke Mandeville. So um, even though I have to travel blooming miles to train on a Sunday um, with uh, the Bournemouth Lions, 
uh, we actually play tournaments in Stoke Mandeville, which is which in Lancashire, close to us. Yeah, not too far away at all, is it? No. So, so um, how did you, uh, did you play rugby before your MS progressed? How did you get into it? I did. So, so I played um, fairly high level rugby um, as uh, I, I played for a good school. I was the captain. I played county rugby, blah, blah, blah. One of those probably slightly obnoxious people at school. Um, but anyway, I loved my my uh, my rugby then. I went on to be a ski rep. Um, I was doing triathlons a little bit later when I worked for um, a premium health fitness health and fitness brand called David Lloyd Leisure. Funnily enough, I was stumbling on my left foot. Um, and then when I was diagnosed, um, the advice wasn't really there because it was a while ago to keep active. So I stopped dead from sort of doing nothing. Uh, and it was actually a physio um, who had been working, who spent one day a week working in the spinal unit who was used to nagging, nagging all her clients to um, play wheelchair rugby. And she took about six months to persuade me. And when I got there, I blooming loved it. It's got, it there's so little in common with real rugby, apart from the bashing and the teamwork and the, and the bad jokes. But nevertheless, it's a team sport and you're keeping fit. And I guess all of the feel-good endorphins are carrying on coming when you're playing your wheelchair rugby so it's amazing it's it, it no it, it it's a real gift and it's it's a motivation in the sense that I know I, I I am literally the slowest player on the court um but the motivation to be slightly less the slowest is just huge so while we've always been watching Netflix or you know, Amazon Prime or, or BBC in lockdown. I've been doing the same, but I lie in bed lifting weights. So um, bizarrely, I've got this, I've got, people talk about guns, don't they? The, the, the biceps. Yeah, yeah. I've got one gun because I've got one good arm. <laughs> so I've got, I'm really unbalanced. So I've got a little bit of muscle on my bad arm and I, I'm quite a hunk in one arm. That's all you need. It is. So that sounds a little bit like me, actually, Mark. It's my left side that's affected. And I know when I was talking to um, Britain's strongest disabled man, he was telling me about all his training. And I thought, OK, so I'll just if I was going to do sort of the world's strongest or the UK's strongest disabled woman, it would be with one arm. And it's just you just feel a little bit stupid sometimes when you look at what your body can do. It is a bit weird, and I think I think, and gosh, I, I I don't know the statistics for how many of us with MS or, or progressive MS or MS that's moved on to be a, a very physical disease as opposed to the other bits and bobs that go on with us. But I would assume an awful lot of us have this weaker one side, uh, and certainly for my point of view, that was one of the first hints that things were going wrong. I mentioned um, when we've been chatting earlier on that I used to do triathlons and this was in my ignoring the symptoms stage. And um, I was stumbling on my left foot as I was nearly finishing the 10K run part of the triathlon and literally telling myself, no, concentrate, Mark, you're stumbling, you're tired. And of course, triathlons, you 
well, of course, no, well, certainly in my case, I did a triathlon a year and therefore my symptoms only surfaced once a year. So being a bloke and having then gone on to have a beer after doing my triathlons, I could ignore it quite sensibly, but it was very much the left-hand side was saying something's up, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's just talk for a little bit about your MS then. So how old were you when you were ignoring the symptoms and doing your triathlons and things? So um, I can recall, funnily enough, I was working at a certain theme park east of Paris run by a four-foot mouse called Mickey, uh, which opened in 1992. It was called Euro Disney at the time and Disneyland Paris now. And my first job there was looking after A-list celebrities. Um, So I looked after Michael Jackson and Kevin Costner and Clint Eastwood and uh, George Bush Sr. and President Mitterrand, um, Chris Tarrant, all sorts of... um, flavors of celebrity from all over the world, Gloria Estefan being my favorite. And I can therefore very clearly pinpoint my first symptoms that I like to blame it on being a bloke. It's a bit of a cliche, but I think it was also that what happens to us all with MS or a lot of us with MS is funny little things came and went. And the first two things that came and went were, intense pins and needles for three days down purely down my left hand I I call it nails and needles it was so strong and it was three days of it and then it went and um there really I I was being stupid because I was aged 23 24 and I convinced myself I'd had a minor stroke which of course if you've had a minor stroke or you think you're having a stroke you do go to the doctor blumenek but I didn't. Um, And then um, bladder issues. Now, I was living in France, drinking an awful lot of wine. And when I was, it was too early for wine, I was drinking a lot of coffee. So I thought it was down to that. And usually I either made it to the loo or I made it to a gatepost because that's what you did in France in the 90s. I don't want to be impolite to the French now. I'm sure they've cleaned up their act, so to speak. But any tree, any fence post was game, especially for men. So those two symptoms for quite a while I could ignore. Um, and then um, the next symptom still in the, the, in the 90s and still when it was in my 20s was um, erectile dysfunction, as in floppy willy. Um, now that I did, being a, um, a male, I did go straight to the doctor after a couple of um, interesting experiences um, at a time when Viagra was only just coming onto the market. So I had to have, um, can we go a bit gory here? We can go gory. We okay. can go gory and we can do mild bad language as well. Well, I know this isn't going to be bad language, but it's just going to make you cringe or, or, or certainly males cringe. I'm not so, I'm not squeamish anyway. So I had to, so as I said, this was only Viagra was either there or just coming. So um, I had to have an injection direct into my wee willy winky. Oh, OK. I can only imagine. But uh, well, it, it gets worse. <laughs> 
um, so this was in central Paris and I lived outside Paris and I drove out of Paris as um, signs of excitement were emerging down below. And by the time I got to my house um, an hour away from Paris, I basically had another gear stick sticking up and it was starting to be painful. Um, oh, no. So painful that I had to drive back or call the doctor and then drive back. And he had to take blood off my wee willy winkle via a cannula to make it go down. Ow. So the doctor said to me, well, it's all just in your head, isn't it? Go away and look after yourself, which, of course, in a sense, it was all in my head, but just not in the way that he was saying. Yes, absolutely. Um, so life went on, peeing behind trees. Um, and taking Viagra, because fortunately, um, by the time I'd had that di diagnosis, so to speak, of um, that symptom, I could take Viagra, which took some of the romance out of my 20s, but at least um, I could get up to a bit of snoggage. Yes, you could do what everybody else was doing. Yes, just with yes. a bit of notice. But at this point, you're not diagnosed. No, I, I wasn't diagnosed for some time later because I got on with life. And indeed, we, we um, I, I married in 1999, still undiagnosed and um, moved back um, with my English wife. But we'd met in France. We moved back um, to the UK, had our first um, son before I was diagnosed. I was actually diagnosed um, in 2007 a little bit after I'd done that stumbling around doing triathlons in the early noughties, um, but really starting to struggle slightly with the walking, slightly with the tripping on my left-hand side. That was what had emerged. The bladder was still rubbish. I was still taking the blue pill, but it was the left-hand side telling me, finally, you've got to go and talk to someone. And I went to the GP, the GP sent to me me to a neurologist as an as in a brain guru, and a urologist as in a waterworks guru, and together and after maybe three four months of the usual shenanigans of um, MRI scans um, and and the usual other bits and bobs, um, I was diagnosed. So I guess. Once I'd been to um, a neurologist, that's relatively quick for people to, to, to get diagnosed. I know there's an awful lot of people um, who, who would be listening in saying, yeah, but it took me years and they wouldn't accept it, etc. So once I had finally accepted what was going on and my symptoms were quite clear, um, yeah, it was fairly straightforward. Yeah. So this was 2007. This was 2007. I was working for Dixon's Carphone, or sorry, Dixon's Retail at the time. We later merged with Dixon's Carphone. Um, I was, uh, and th th sorry, that's the company in the UK that owns Curry's, EC World, um, Dixon's Travel at the airports, which had just announced their closing, and now Carphone Warehouse Stores. Um, and across the U, uh, sorry, across Europe, other stores with their own brands, but just large electricals selling funky stuff like iPads and laptops and big flash tellies, mundane stuff 
but very necessary stuff like washing machines and dishwashers. So um, I was doing a PR role um, and really enjoying it, but started to not cope. So in terms of how the company looked after me, I, I, I still rave about them several years after I left them because there were three just brilliant touch points as how they, they treated me and my diagnosis. So on the initial diagnosis, I went home for a couple of weeks to feel sorry for myself, grieve, get angry, whatever I did. And by the time I came back, the team around me had educated themselves as to what I was probably going through, what MS was. Um, they weren't perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But the willingness was just wonderful and brilliant. And of course, we all know that some people will never talk to you again because either they are repulsed by you occasionally or more often they're just scared of talking to you. So they don't. So there was some of that but the vast majority were just brilliant. And that made the sort of transgression progression to being a, a, a person with MS a, a little bit easier. Um, fast forward a couple of years and I was walking drunk, then walking with a walking stick, um, then with a, a rollator, a Zimmer frame, and eventually a wheelchair. and and stuff was getting tough. So it was physically manifesting itself. The bladder was bloody awful by now. And uh, cog fog was setting in fatigue. So I, I couldn't really do that high powered in London, few drinks with journalists, long hours. I, I couldn't do that anymore. And social media was emerging. And I was starting to talk to the same journalists that I knew um, face-to-face, -face, more and more on Twitter, actually more than I had met them in a bar in London every four months or whatever. And so I was called into an office and I thought I was going to get what I call the guilty check, you know, there, there, Mark, off you go into the wilderness. And actually they said, I can't remember the exact words, but it was roughly speaking, look, Mark, we really care about you. We love what you're doing. What can we do together? that will help the business and help you. And together we came up with this role of corporate social media. So I was still talking to the same journalists. I was picking up my um, CEO at the time. He became the most followed CEO on Twitter. Um, and um, he's now at Boots. He was at Dixon's and now he's at Boots as the CEO there. And so, and by the way, they let me work a four day week while still paying me five days. So just perfect treatment yeah. and let me stay in a role that much longer. Fast forward again, and my cog fog, my, my thinking processes were awful. Um, I was just that much more tired. I couldn't read. I felt I was going to let them down. I wasn't, but I think at some point it would happen. And I said to them, I, I really need to head off into the wilderness. And... Um, Again, they didn't have to. I'd been on, I can't remember, three months or six months notice. And they gave me quite a lot more than that to, to, to look after myself. The, the lovely upshot of that was I talked them up wonderfully on LinkedIn. Um, George Pepper, the CEO of um, uh, Shift.ms, saw the post on LinkedIn, which went viral. I think I finished it, be like Dixon's car phone. 
and got in touch. And I've been head of comms with Shift.ms ever since, among other things. So that is a really amazing story. And I think anybody that's listening is going to be, one, jealous, and two, wondering, how is it possible to get this forward? But that's not the question that I was going to ask at this point, Mark. Before we start talking about Shift MS, can you think about the one thing that I ask all my guests as we moved in, moving to the second year of the podcast? Can you talk to us about a time when the MS got real? I can. I think I could probably come up with about 15 times. Um, Let's have the, the biggest and the goriest. Oh, yeah, yeah well, this, this, this will be a gory one for you. Um, but yes, I, I do. I, I think I have a kind of a, a dual approach to um, my MS, which is really quite advanced now in that I, I work on the denial principle on a day to day basis. Likewise, though, I accept that I need to eat well, follow mindfulness, take my medications, follow all the advice, um, keep fit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but in terms of um, when things go wrong, because I was in denial, I really wasn't accepting the, you know, that that scary wheelchair moment or anything further than a walking stick, and I was falling often. And it was often in front of my children. Um, I've got two, we've got two boys. Um, and uh, my default was instantly as I fell to say, I'm all right, boys, I'm all right. And this time in the kitchen, one, one morning before school, I fell backwards and hit my head. And again, default, I'm fine, boys, I'm fine. And my... Oh, how old would he have been? Maybe eight, nine, ten, something like that. My older son, he said, Daddy, you're not okay. There was a massive pool of blood spreading out from my head. Now, we all know that head wounds can be rather, well, can be nasty, nasty, but can also be just rather more dramatic than they are. So this one, I had made a massive hole in my head, um, but it was relatively superficial um, but it was so dramatic so I was um, carted off in the ambulance to be um, stitched up um, and the photos I've got of that hole in my head are dramatic and my poor son still remembers clearing up bits of scalp from um, the floor with um, my uh, our carer nanny so it was a moment that made me realise, no, I, I needed to move on. So I moved very quickly, accelerated through stick, crutches, rollator and, and uh, where I am now, which is rollator as much as I can around the house, but frankly, wheelchair um, any time I'm outdoors. And it was just accepting that so that now um, falls are safe because I it, it's slow motion. I'm from sitting level and I'm always got my hold on something. It's rarer, but if I fall, I don't whack my head anymore. So that's from a much more of a safety perspective, I guess. And for your, for your son to have done that, and I guess he was the one ringing the ambulance as well. So he, he's called Samuel. Um, he was the one not only ringing my ambulance because it was before our nanny carer arrived 
but after my wife had gone to work. So I was the soul in hand at the time. Um, so he not only cleared up my brain, not, not my brain, it was only skin. It was, it, I didn't crack my skull. Um, I, was, I think I was a mildly concussed. Um, so he, he cleared up that. He helped my youngest son with his breakfast and called the ambulance. He was amazing. He, he still is absolutely amazing. So I think, you know, that is just proof of the pudding. Your son just doing what needed to be done. But then I guess the guilt that comes with thinking, you know, I've caused that. I caused him to experience that. And that's that's definitely a good enough reason to force yourself to use the wheelchair when you might not have otherwise used it. Your poor head, your poor Poor Samuel. I just think, you know, oh. So that's when your MS shit really, really got real. Yes, a big turning point. And yes, I often um, say guilt is the biggest symptom of MS. Um, and it, it, it's, is my MS worse for me or for my children and my wife? I can't answer that question. And of course, it's it's from two very different perspectives but um i will never not feel awful about it i can cope with it um i dip in and out of counseling every two or three years i i know the horrible stats about how many people are um depressed slash anxious about ms i've been very blessed in that sense um, that I've never gone into any kind of depths of despair, but I, I have tough moments. So I kind of self-police myself by every two or three years going in for um, some counselling sessions and inevitably that guilt comes up. And I, honestly, I, I would that would be the bit I would get rid of of MS before my dodgy bladder or being in a wheelchair or all the other bits and bobs I have to deal with. I would just love it to my family to have a normal life. And of course, I make huge efforts. They do have a normal life. So I can't run around and kick about with the boys. I can't go on dancing dates with my wife, etc. So there's huge amounts they miss out on, but I compensate. So there's lots of reading with the children. I play, uh, my, my younger son is into his gaming, so I play Roblox, which is an iPad game that I, I, I play with him. And the older one, um, he's into mountain biking. So I, I drive him to his place and I sit there with my funky wheelchair and film him. So I, I do what I can. It's just, it's just different. It is very different. Um, and I think guilt is the thing that causes us to change our life when we live with MS. Um, in whatever capacity so the guilt of feeling that you can't contribute or that you're letting people down um, whatever it might be but then those life changes in effect I think we make for the better and we do what we need to do. Yes I think of my life in three stages really so the the Ponzi running around school being head boy and captain of rugby then a ski rep, then running around Disney with celebrities, snogging lots of girls, um, all about me, 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 brilliant. Um, and then meeting my wife and having children. 
and being deeply in love. We're, we're 21 years together and I'm so proud of her as a wife and they gave me so much purpose. I realized I had to grow up as soon as I met and fell in love with my wife. Um, so that was a wonderful second stage. And I'm still in that stage now, but the third stage when I'm, I'm sort of out and um, don't want to be disabled, but I'm proud to be, and I'm proud to represent the community that I do, and proud to work for shift.ms, I'm proud that I'm able to use my rather silly humor to blog in a rather, sometimes a little bit rude, but very transparent way to try and help other people. Purpose. Uh, I've got this immense purpose that I know my my MS won't be cured. I, I you know, I'm I'm hoping very much for the next generation that there'll be some dramatic changes. It's moving so fast now, um, but my attitude personally is that technology will help me more. You know, I've got a very far. I've just looked. We're only talking on on, on microphone, but I've just looked to the right at my very funky off-road wheelchair. Um, I've got a kind of exoskeleton for my legs that helps me exercise. So technology will help even those who are more advanced in their MS. But I need to keep campaigning for others, and and not just for uh, MS, but for all all flavors of um, disability because we need a better understanding out there in society we need uh, more support in getting cures and medication and treatments and opportunities and oh my word I could just keep shouting the whole time but it, it's a it's a gift it's I don't want it but it's a bloody gift absolutely I think and you do it so well you are prolific you know you are out there and you are telling it as it is but at the same time you're also saying do you know what don't talk to me in any different way I still want those opportunities and you just go at it with both hands and keep pushing to get things that other people will just look at you in awe and think okay he amazes me every day and if he can do it I want a bit of that I I do wish my wife would look at me in awe, but anyway, that that was that <laughs> that that's for a few years ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know, and it, it but the language is it, it is very difficult, isn't it? Because clearly, I don't want pity. And I was interestingly, I was um, talking on a, a a retail panel because I still care very much about retail from my my more than a decade at Dixon. Um, I was on a panel with, um, I don't know if you know the disability activist and actress, um, Sam Renker, or Samantha Renker. You, you can Google her, she's lovely and prolific and you would, you would recognize her. But it was interesting. I was talking about the Dixons, how well they looked after me story. And really the message I wanted to come through was empathy, you know, people to understand me as opposed to wanting pity. And you're agreeing with me. Sam Renker disagreed with me because she said you they can't put themselves in our shoes because we have such a different experience. What they need to give is sympathy. Now I I'm I'm not sure, you see. 
I know what Sam was saying. That empathy means putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and who can put themselves in a wheelchair. I've got a blooming catheter leak coming out of my belly. Who can do that without understanding what you go through? So I, I know what Sam was saying. But ever since that panel I sat on her, I've been trying to find a word between empathy and sympathy. And I, I've failed dismally so far. Um, but what I am absolutely convinced by is I do not want pity. I don't think it works for everybody to say it could be worse um, because, you know, it's bloody awful MS. I know that. Um, but I, I did. I think one of the very first things that happened to me that jolted me back to reality was hearing about some plane crash or uh very ill children or a bombing in Syria. I can't remember the, 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 the point that triggered me. And I thought, well, rather rather them than me, I was okay. And, and that's why I, I get on with, I, I'm still happy and still enjoy life. Um, just before we got on the call today, there was some rugby news. So I can still follow stuff that even I, you know, I'm 52. So of course I wouldn't be playing international rugby anymore but I can still be interested in things excited by things I love my wife I love my children I've got some great friends could be worse yeah yeah things things could be worse and I think that that's difficult thing to do is to find the words to express what we would like from people that have not got any sort of disability um the pity I have had when I've been in my mobility scooter on holiday visiting churches and, you know, you do the tourist um, track round and they were looking at me with pity. And I thought, I don't want to be looked at like this. I don't want to be looked at. I don't want to be pitied. I just want you to appreciate the challenge and make space for me. And that might be it. And then talk to me. As an, as an intelligent person but I, I get it it's not pity empathy is probably too touchy-feely and I don't know what the word is but appreciating and understanding um, would be a good first step I think for me um, absolutely have you ever been prayed for that's happened to me I think that's what they were probably looking to do when they were going you know they were doing the praying in front whether or not they went on and did it I don't know I I I've had that I had a teacher a religious teacher um who I bumped into with with a bunch of children in in, in the street sort of stopped and prayed for me and I, I I didn't I you know of course retrospect is a great thing when you when you've got cog fog it's difficult to 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 sort of rethink stuff and think how you could have done it um, but I wish I could have corrected the teacher and, and let the children know that I wasn't to be pitied, that I have a good life. But hey ho, it, it happened, and it's a, it's a weird old thing. And, and you talked about your mobility scooter. You have probably had the, um, the case where your husband has been talked to about what what does she want? What does that lady want for? You know, does she want sprinkles on her ice cream? And um, I've had that, and there I have been rude. I, 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 I have um, I have pushed back, not Rudy swear. I'm not a sweary person, but I have been um, a little bit um, direct back when somebody's done that. Yeah. 
and we have to we, we've got it we've got to do it we've got to stand up for things and it's going to be a gradual we know how long change takes it's going to it's got to be a gradual process so mark shift.ms i'd love to know more about one what you're doing and two what the charity's sort of raison d'etre is what is their aim and their ambition um so so there's some brilliant charities out there the ms society does a huge work in 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 fundraising in um funding uh research uh, the ms trust gives us all these wonderful ms nurses um and shift.ms was founded by george pepper who actually has ms's set himself and he was finding in his 20s that he didn't really have other people to talk to about those early stages of what he was going through physically or or i don't actually know his symptoms really we've never sat and chatted through them but he wanted to talk to like-minded young people and he founded a social network which became shift.ms so shift.ms is really a um well it started just as a social network for the newly diagnosed slash the young and it's become as it's grown and we have nearly 40,000 members worldwide now um a social network for everyone with ms it's where you can go in a safe space to talk anonymously or openly um and ask those strange questions i've got this tingle in my little right toe what do you know about it and inevitably somebody will pile in and have yes i've had that and you can do this no you're buggered whatever um it's a very supportive environment since that um social media side that I, i'm really proud of and i still use myself it goes on to make some seriously quality films which try to explain the impossible to explain which is ms um my f- absolute favorite being the very first film they made called gallop which is a wonderful film um you can find it on youtube um about a slightly angry man going through diagnosis and busy falling in love at the same time wonderful sort of a ro- short romance film and actually the most recent film called sidecar which is very edgy and and shift.ms as a charity is very edgy um it's about a mo- motorbike am i going to say it right motorcycle racing i don't know the terminology there it's like getting ms terminology wrong but anyway motorbike motorcycle racer who's going into progressive slash advanced ms and the emotions he's experiencing so i've never seen any film about motorcycling motorbiking oops whatever that is um but it's just an edgy educational film and finally um the ms reporters which has now been rebranded lived health but it's a, a huge amount of videos where we interview world experts neurologists of course but also nutritionists uh, nutritionists sorry um uh mental health um gurus um anybody who could have any kind of input into your well-being and you can watch those videos back and the the interviewers are people with ms ms as we call them at shift.ms 
Um, so you get access because, of course, wherever you are in the world with MS, you never get enough time with your your experts, with your your GP, your general practitioner, with your neurologist. In the UK, you've got MS nurses. Um, I go to an MS centre, but I could always do with more. I would love to have somebody 24-7 giving me physio and, and whatever else. Um, so through the, the these YouTube videos, you get to talk, you, you get to hear um, from the best in the in the world about the latest research. And that's been very valid recently um, with COVID. Because of course, early on, we were all terrified uh, as a world of COVID. Add to that terrified as MSs of COVID, then um, fast forward a few months, wondering about how our treatments would affect us with the vaccine. And through these videos, we could get the latest info um, and the latest research and the latest data rather than tribal politi political views on whether vaccines were good for us. So it's just this wonderful fund of information for MSers as to what's right and wrong for them. And actually, the conclusion in nearly every case is get the blooming vaccine. Yeah. So that's shift dot. MS. And how long have they been around? How long have they been? They have been around, uh, Shift.MS has been around uh, 11 years now. Um, and it's really kind of exploded. It, it, I wouldn't call it an accidental charity, um, but certainly George founded it with, with, with smaller ambitions. Um, he, he's based in Leeds and we've now got small hubs in Leeds and in London. And there's a lot of working from home. Um, but um, from two years ago, 20,000 members to now in uh, coming up to mid 2021, we've got 20, nearly 40,000 members. So we've doubled again in, in um, two years. And as I think I've mentioned, we've, we've gone worldwide, predominantly in UK um, speaking countries but um actually with the ones of google translate um worldwide worldwide um so it, it's um it's just going massive it's brilliant it is it is really brilliant and i can just you know to hear about that sort of growth and i think the whole purpose of aiming for the younger newly diagnosed people i think who are desperately seeking to talk to other people. And I think to know that that's where it's come from, it's such an important charity to the MS world. It's got its very own special niche. And I just, you know, if I think back, I was diagnosed 14 years ago. So pesky George hadn't been diagnosed and sorted out to charity for me. I just wish I had had that support then because um, unfortunately my GP got to me before my neurologist did to give me my diagnosis. And he told me pretty much nothing about MS. And his, I, oh, I, I, if, if he hadn't retired, I'd like to retire him. His, his um, departing words to, to me after a very perfunctory chat were, good luck, old chap. Um, and I went home and, and consulted Dr. Google. 
And of course, I did eventually come across the MS Society, but by then I'd also found all the bad news stories um, and I decided I had minutes to live. Um, if I had, to, you know, I may be slightly exaggerating there, but you know what I mean. And if I'd had shift.ms and or other peer support, um, I probably would have had a first better first couple of years. And they're the most important years in a sense. You know, I, I'm still busy looking after myself several years in and, and with some fairly hefty symptoms now. But had I been going after the healthy diet early on, keeping up the exercise rather than stopping, which I did for a good while, getting on medication instantly, I wasn't put on medication straight away. Who knows, you know, you can't do what ifs, too, what ifs too often with MS, but there is still a little bit of nag at the back of my mind thinking, well, if I'd had the right support from day one, where would I have been? Maybe as bad? Maybe not. Who knows? And I think we're always going to go through all those different questions in our mind. And I've got the same things. Um, yeah, I know. I, I have those. Um, if I'd have not stopped taking my disease modifying drugs because I got on my bandwagon a little bit sooner, how might things be now? Um, and you know we always have that kind of what if and I just think it would be a really interesting book to try and write almost like sliding doors where you do the life if I had gone down one route the life if I had never had MS versus the life that's happened but what about all those decisions along the way and I think you're absolutely right how different might things be if you were if you'd been supported and you'd had the answers that you wanted way back when. Yes. And, you know, and that's, you know, we, we, we've talked about how um, we need to keep campaigning and, and we hope things will change in a sense. That'll be a, a, for, for generations to come to keep pushing the boundaries on MS awareness, on disability awareness, on diversity and inclusion you know, how long have we been talking about women's rights? You know, somebody ran in front of a horse back in the 1920s and um, that, you know, we're in the next set of 20s now. So there's still some way to go. So I, I'm afraid, you know, we've got missions to come. Um, but in terms of what if, and given I feel it's my mission to support the next generation, to think about my children, well, they're in a better condition, better situation or should anything happen to them and hopefully more understanding about well certainly they're more understanding about um diversity and inclusion and and all the 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 gender and the race issues that have been highlighted recently and and that that makes me glad I, I, we can't stop there's more to do um if i pop it tomorrow or in 20 years there'll be more after me then, but that's fine. Just it doesn't mean I mustn't stop pushing. Yeah, I think we just got we've got to do what we can to change the opinions, to change regulation, and to change the decision makers' opinion on things. So it's a constant battle. Every day is actually a bit of a battle, but the bigger picture feels like a battle. And you're right. You look at women's rights. I think the rights of disabled people and the acceptance 
in the wider community is going to take a lot of work to get there. So um, I did want to sort of talk to you a little bit about the neuro life now and also the blog and all the representation stuff that you do. Um, and I think I'd be really interested from the point perspective of showing people the different avenues that you can go down to do sort of to do things accessibly when you've got MS. So I'm just interested to hear about how you do it. But obviously you've got a background in it. So you've got certain skills as well um, that mean, you know, it's not for everybody. Not anybody can do what you do. But just maybe to talk a little bit about these other things, these really huge message things that you do. So if we can just talk a little bit more about that. So Mark, um, I'm really interested to know, you do so much as a person living with MS. What sort of things do you do and how do you manage to fit these into your MS life? <laughs> um, the beauty of an iPad, um, for one, and a little bit too often in bed, um, being a keyboard warrior, so to speak. Um, now, so I think social media is for everyone because it can be quite toxic. There are ways of avoiding that. I, I, I've talked about shift.ms already, and that's a very supportive environment. Um, but um, personally, um, I, I use LinkedIn as a very supportive tool, and that's particularly come to the fore in um during lockdown um partly because people are looking for jobs but um also because i think there's been a lot more working from home so i get to talk to people and engage with people in a professional sense there um but i actually use twitter okay i can shut out um the the angry stuff mostly every so often i wade as an in as a keyboard warrior but generally i i stay away from the nasty stuff and, and just talk up the positives, as, as I think you've, you've heard me speaking. Um, I've made some good connections over the years. Um, I used to campaign, and I think this is one lesson um, that, that we can all take. We can't all do the bonkers stuff that I do. Um, and I, I've been lucky enough to have uh, uh, kind of, my, my mind and my profession has trained me towards what I do. Um, but I used to campaign very hard for Chilton's MS Centre, which is the uh, an MS centre near Wendover um, in Buckinghamshire. And that was a very local supportive space. So if you don't want to go onto shift.ms or onto Twitter or LinkedIn, um, then um, a slice of cake um, around the um, around the table at your local MS centre is bloody marvellous as well. And I found that very supportive. And I'll get back as soon as this pandemic is over. But in terms of my professional work, um, I, as I said, I, I will talk up any flavor of disability and diversity now, and often find myself on panels. And there's a new um, app called NeuroLife Now, which is really trying to combine the um, campaigning and the knowledge power of all of us with neurological conditions. I've never really thought of that angle. I've, I've always thought of myself in the autoimmune 
community. That's most famously um, Crohn's and rheumatoid arthritis and, and MS and, and diabetes type one. Um, but the, the neurological, so that sort of brain and spine, that brings in um, dementia, that brings in Parkinson's, and we've all had um, uh, specific and, and challenging times in um, during COVID, but but forever also. Um, so NeuroLife Now is an app that records your monthly experiences um, in very short, but but very you know data um, uh, feeds data in um, to to the guys at um, uh, NeuroLife Now for them to inform healthcare professionals, uh, oh, I'm gonna use stakeholders. That's an awful word to use, <laughs> isn't it? But anyway, stakeholder, but to inform people just what's going on in the minds and, well, literally the minds, but that what's going on for people with um, neurological conditions. So that's what I do for NeuroLife now. It's relatively new. We're just through the pilot stage now and we'll start pushing the message harder. Um, but um, I'm loving starting to learn about Parkinson's. It's one of the other things I'm trying to do is write a book. I got quite far and then I stopped because I got so busy um, and bits and bobs in um, our family personal life blow me down. But I'll, I'll get back to that. But the best biography out there, by autobiographies, <laughs> out there about somebody going through a similar-ish journey to us is by Michael J. Fox, who of course has Parkinson's rather than MS. But there's a lot of shared bits and bobs that go on. Um, and he does it wittily, positively, insightfully, etc. And I'm just going through his third book now. So it's brilliant in you know learning about Parkinson's, dementia, you know, often um, early sign dementia can be a little bit like cog fog. So um, I don't want to say too, too many similarities with dementia, but, you know, we, I, I share some experiences there. We, we forget things. As soon as we say we've forgotten something, then a healthy person will say, oh, yeah, I do too. And you want to punch them in the kidneys. But, and, and I'm sure that's similar for somebody in early stage dementia. So... Um, neurological conditions is just another area that now fascinates me and I, and I want to help. Brilliant. So you're working with NeuroLife now and then you're doing, you're doing your humorous blog. You, you write about your blog, One Man and His Catheters. And I have read some of those. Um, and I just think, is that from a cathartic perspective? Or are you doing that from a let's just blow the trumpet perspective? What's your driver for your blog? Yeah. So, again, um, Bron, I don't know how worldwide you're going with your um, blog, but one man at his catheters.com. You probably understand the reference comes from a very old TV show called One Man and His Sheep, which was um, where, um, where for half an hour you would watch she um, shepherds herd their sheep into a pen yes so that, that was yes. how that was how I came up with one man and his catheters I think it comes from the point of my own journey 
to being proud to be disabled because I can remember when I first, I was in Costa in Leighton Buzzard and I wanted a coffee and I had to ask them to bring the coffee over to my table because I knew I would spill a third of it before it got to the table. And I said to them, and it was the first thing I'd said disabled, I said, because I'm partially disabled. I couldn't bring myself to say properly disabled. So from the point of diagnosis through saying I'm a little bit teeny weeny disabled to actually being proud of disabled is kind of a journey. And one man and his catheters does reflect that. So I'm now out and proud. I still slightly struggle to sometimes talk about bladder and bowels and erections, but I, I do. I force myself to talk about them, but I use humour um, as a defence mechanism, partly, but also mm -hmm. to become approachable. I, I, I want to resonate with the MS and the disabled community, but I also want my family and friends to be able to relate to to what, you know, Bron and you and I, if we chat, we can say DMDs, disease modifying drugs. We can talk about tremors and whatever else, and you and I will get it. But the, the, the more, the general populace, I'd like to help them understand as well, those who are interested, and I get that some aren't. And I think humor, helps both that subject of MS and disability become more approachable. But when I'm talking about bloody erection problems, then a bit of humour helps me as well. Yeah, I know. And I know we talked about that early, earlier on in this episode. And I've asked people that I know in the community, which subjects, these are the subjects that I think people want to hear about. And I asked them to rank them. And the one that came top was all around these things that we just don't talk about, all around the sexual difficulties, relationship difficulties, bladder, um, bowel. And I don't know, I almost feel like I should have a special series where it's entirely looking at all of this, um, because that is the thing that came out top of the list that people want to know about, talk about, hear about. Um, and so if you can do that, and I know you're doing it through work that you do, but if people can talk about it more and more and make it more run of the mill, because it's difficult for professionals to even talk about when we go to see them, because I've read the papers for professionals. So I know they find it difficult um, and I know it took me being asked the same question three times before I admitted to bloody awful incontinence because it's it's a difficult discussion to have. So I think that is a fantastic name for a blog. One man and his catheters. There I am. I'm telling you again, you need to go and read Mark's blog. So I think today we've got through an awful lot of stuff, Mark, and I'm really grateful to you for that. Um, just to finish the whole kind of discussion, I've just got a couple more questions. Good. If you could be anywhere in the world, so 
COVID and lockdown and all the rest. This is just to take us off, off the whole discussion about what we've been talking about. But if you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? Am I allowed three? <laughs> yeah, go on. Why so um, I can't wait to be on the wheelchair rugby court again. That is absolutely magical. Mm-hmm. It's the 30th anniversary of Disneyland Paris next year. I can't wait to be back with my family there and my friends who some of them are still working there. Wow. And uh, I, Michael Jackson won't be there this time. And um, I just before um, COVID kicked in and we were watching the days kick by we had our dream dream holiday through a mutual friend booked in the Maldives now we've been there as a couple to the Maldives but we had spent silly money on going to the Maldives with the children water bungalow everything and we were probably 10 days too late something like that we were that close to flying and then not worrying if we got marooned. So of those three, I think we'll put the Maldives over wheelchair rugby or or, um, Disneyland Paris. (laughs) The Maldives sound amazing. And we've got friends um, and he's got a a really amazing job and he's now CEO of one of the the bank of the Maldives. So he's now living out there. So we were due to go and visit them in the Maldives but we'd also got uh, a trip out to the Philippines and uh, Singapore booked. And it must have been around about the same time that you yeah. were due to go out to the Maldives um, because we were the same. It's like, can we go? Can we not go? What are we going to do? Is it going to get cancelled? Are we going to get our money back? So um, it's nice to have that looking forward to yes Uh, that trip again isn't it oh my word yes so um, I'm in no hurry to go overseas yet um staycation another cliche I think for this year I'm fine with that um but uh yeah a nice foreign holiday with the children wonderful yeah okay Mark thank you ever so much for talking to us today Absolute pleasure to, to meet you, Bronner. And whether or not, I don't think you're going to be skydiving with me, but I'm sure we're going to meet again doing something fun and silly. I'm sure we will. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please, can you help to grow the audience? If you can subscribe, rate, review this podcast, it all helps. And if you'd like to get in touch or just send me an email, you can do that by emailing hello at multiplesuccess.co.uk. The address will also be in the show notes.